Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're in a series talking about hope, but I think today, if you think about the message in the right perspective, you would find out what we're going to talk about today ought to make you more hopeful and bring you more hope than even if you thought someone was really going to do that. They're going to bring you a, a million dollars. We uh, started a series uh, about three weeks ago, counting today. I entitled Seven Stories of Hope, and we're just kind of walking through some New Testament stories and uh, trying to draw some reasons for hope out of it. Uh, previous to today, we kind of talked about some things involving, uh, you know, Pharisees and regrettably the way they would uh, look at people uh, and yet the hope that people had to approach Jesus, even though the Pharisees would look down upon them. Today, we're going to talk about hope from this standpoint, the, the hope that, that you and I can actually do something to minister to Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read it all at one time. We'll just kind of work our way through it uh, as we go. But think about how hopeful that ought to be for you. The, the thought that, that you and I could actually do something for and to Jesus. Because if you put it in perspective who he is and, uh, and all that he's done for us, uh, it might make us think, how in the world can I do anything for Jesus? Because he was... He's the son of God. He spoke creation into existence. You know, how can little you and me do anything that would, would kind of be a blessing to him or minister to him? And, and yet in this passage, I think we can find that. Think, think about it in this light. You and I who had no hope of eternal life at one point, previous to knowing Christ. You and I, by... Faith, come to know Christ as our Savior. The only way we have any hope of everlasting life is through Jesus. And now by doing that, by having faith in Jesus, we're so positioned or postured as believers that we can actually do something to bless Jesus as we bless others. So we um, look in this passage of Scripture uh, a, a lot of times you've heard me refer to this passage probably on an outflow Sunday. Now, some of you that uh, may be visiting with us or new to day three, you might not have any idea what an outflow Sunday uh, is or what it looks like. Well, periodically, um, we will designate a Sunday that we're going to go out and minister in the community. And instead of us having a full worship service, we'll gather here, have a song, take an offering up, be sure everybody understands their assignments. And before I send them out in the community, I will read sometimes from this passage of Scripture to remind people, as you go out and minister all that day, think about the person you're ministering to as though it were Jesus himself. Because if we'll do that on Outflow Sunday, or be honest with you, every day, if we would do that, if we would look at other people as though they were Jesus as though that person is Jesus Christ himself, that would revolutionize the way we treat people. Amen? If we would think about that. Well, today I want us to, to look at it in more detail, though. I want you to understand, if you're a Christian, you can actually minister to Jesus. 
In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking to uh, primarily to two groups of people that he designates and calls sheep and goats. And in this series of hope, I, I'm not sure what today may not be one of the most hopeful messages in this whole series. To think that you and I could actually do something for Jesus and do something to Jesus to bless him or minister to him. Not only do we need to wake up to the fact that we can minister to Jesus, we need to wake up to the fact that there are people outside the walls of this building who need us to share hope with them. And if we share hope with them and they receive Christ as their Savior, they too can minister to other people for Jesus and minister to Jesus themselves. We approach this passage of Scripture. I want to do it from two standpoints. I want us to look at some, some, some doctrinal significance in this passage of Scripture. The hope part, the main hope part, will come in the practical significance in the words that Jesus gives to the sheep and the goats. But I didn't want to read through this because it, it has some things to do with prophecy or eschatology, which means the study of, of, of last things, of last times. A lot of people are really interested in that right now because it looks like it's getting worse and worse and worse in our world. And, and we wonder how long will it be before Jesus comes back. So a lot of people are concerned about prophecy and eschatology. So I, I felt like we needed to deal with some doctrinal things in, in the words that Jesus shares. And then we'll get to the practical part that really is where we'll find more of our, our hope today in thinking about how we can, can actually minister to Jesus. We think about the doctrinal significance of Jesus' words as he talks here to the, to the sheep and the goats. First of all, I want you to notice that there is a return of Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, in the first part of verse 21, we find this. When the Son of Man, which is a reference to Christ himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. There's a time that Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming in all of his glory. The, the Greek word is the Greek word doxa, which literally means glory is very apparent. And I really love that definition, that meaning of that particular Greek word, because in this case, it means this. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be really, really apparent to everybody who he is. No one's going to have to introduce him and say, hey, this is Jesus that's coming. People will know when he shows up because it will be very apparent who he is. He's going to show up in all of his glory and it will be a definite distinction that he's a lot different than anyone that's around whenever he comes. Now, in, in this particular story, I think it's talking about when Jesus actually returns to the earth and some things that happen right after that. I understand people have all types of different uh, viewpoints when it comes to eschatology. Some people are uh, pre-tribulation, some are post-tribulation. Some people think the church is being raptured out before the, the great tribulation. Uh, some people think the church is going to have to go through the tribulation. Uh, and I understand people have all different viewpoints. My personal viewpoint is this. I believe that the Bible teaches Jesus has taken the church out before the great tribulation. Now, does the Bible say that we will face tribulation? Yes, it will, but I don't think we'll go through the great tribulation. I face tribulation about every week. Do you? I mean, and right now, Christians across the world are facing tribulation, especially in, in places to where ISIS is out running rampant. So there's persecution that's, that's happening, and tribulation that's happening for believers, but I don't believe the Bible teaches that the church will go through the great tribulation. 
Jesus is going to come and call us out to be with him. This text, I think, picks up on seven years later at the conclusion, the end of the Great Tribulation. And Jesus comes literally to establish his kingdom, comes in his glory, comes to set up his glorious throne. And when Jesus comes this time that we're seeing in this text this morning, there will be no one spinning upon Jesus. There will be no one beating Jesus. There will be no one abusing Jesus. There will be no one nailing Jesus to the cross. Because when Jesus comes in the instance that we're looking at today, he comes as the king of kings to take over. He comes as king and as judge to set up his throne. So for believers, you know, while I said most of the hope we're going to talk about this morning will be in the practical part later in the message, for believers, it is a very hopeful thing, thank God, that Jesus will come again. Amen? We, we ought to gain all kinds of hope for that if you know Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that might ought to cause you some concern this morning that Jesus is coming back. Because not only is there a return of Jesus, there's also a time of judgment. There's a time when Jesus is coming back with all of his holy angels and he's going to establish his, his throne. By the way, don't think of Jesus coming back with the holy angels, meaning Jesus has backup this time. I was in law enforcement. I faced times when I was in law enforcement that I needed backup. Hey, Jesus never needs backup. Amen? They just happen to be along for the ride. <laughs> but there will be a time of judgment. It said, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Not only will it be very apparent who Jesus is, his throne will be very apparent. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right hand, but the goats will be put on his left hand. Now, the word that's used for nations here in the Greek literally means the Gentile nations, not the Jewish people, the Gentile nations. But the tense of it in the Greek implies individuals. So even though Jesus has come to the earth and he's establishing his throne and his kingdom, and even though he brings nations before him, he's going to separate out the individuals based upon this judgment that, that takes place that Jesus is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. Most Bible scholars believe that this particular judgment that Jesus is talking about today occurs right after the great tribulation and right after he comes to set his throne up. Some theologians will talk about a general judgment. In other words, people will try and take, or, yeah, the Bible talks about a judgment here, but it talks about a judgment there. And then it talks, it looks like it's talking about a judgment over here, and they'll kind of roll it all together and say, yeah, but there's just one general judgment. Problem with that is this, the Bible doesn't teach a general judgment. The Bible actually teaches some specific judgments. There's a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Most Bible scholars, theologians, believe that that happens right after the rapture. That, that Jesus will sit there upon his throne and he will judge believers, not whether they're saved or not, but he will judge them based upon their, their works. And that will be a, a time of, of judgment as Jesus does that. And, and that's referred to uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. We don't have time to read all that today. Then there's also a, a great white throne judgment. 
And the great white throne judgment is a time when the unsaved dead will be raised and judged. And most Bible scholars part that after the millennial reign of Christ. And it seems to take place out in space or at some level of heaven because Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says the earth and the heaven fled away. So you see, it can't be a general judgment because there it says that the earth and heaven are fleeing away so the judgment's not taking place on the earth. The judgment today that we're looking at that Jesus refers to, he said in his throne up on the earth. So it's a judgment that occurs on the earth. So this great white throne judgment where people who have died lost who are in a place called Hades, will be brought forward, stand before him, and then they're cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna forever, after that judgment, the great white throne judgment. And then there's this judgment that Jesus is alluding to today that doesn't necessarily have a, have a title, but once again, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this judgment happens right after the great tribulation, when Jesus comes and sets his feet upon the earth, because he makes an offer to these, he says, come inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you. So he's in the process of setting up his kingdom, his millennial reign, and he's given an invitation for these to come and enter. So there's not a general judgment where all of them just happen at one time in the Bible talk, but there are three different judgments that take place. Whatever your eschatology, Jesus is coming back, and there is a time of judgment, no matter what you think about the judgment. So that ought to give concern that there's a time of judgment. There's also a time of reward that Jesus talks about in this passage of Scripture. It said, the king will say to those on his right, the sheep over here on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and hear the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and then he says, for I was hungry and he gave me food. I was thirsty and he gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. You welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then these sheep are going to be kind of shocked by what Jesus is saying. And they're going to ask, well, when in the world did we do those things? Let's keep reading. The righteous will answer him. These sheep will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you and uh, see you thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, now, now park this in your mind for a minute. He says, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. So we need to, we need to kind of answer who he means by that statement, my brothers. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the, the sheep are separated out, and there's a time of reward that takes place here. This is where it gets a little bit technical, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not something to, to split hairs over. But as I study this uh, over again this week, most conservative Bible scholars believe that in this particular judgment, in this particular reward that's given out, is to a very specific group of people. Now, now stay with me. If you're pre-rapture, if you're pre-trib, the, the, the rapture's taking place and the church is already out, already gone. Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, we come with him. 
and he's setting his throne up on the earth. That's when this judgment is taking place. What a lot of conservative Bible scholars view Jesus talking about here is that he is dividing out the sheep from the nations. See, the church is already with him. He's dividing out the sheep from the nations who during the tribulation time accepted the message of the 144,000 Jews who were serving as evangelist missionaries. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be that many of the Jews who realize who he is, realize, hey, that's the Messiah, and they're going to go full bore all in, doing everything they can to serve Jesus and take the gospel across the world. The Bible tells us during that time, the Antichrist and all of his cronies are going to be trying to hunt them down, persecute them, kill them, do everything they can to stop the 144,000 Jews. So what a lot of conservative Bible scholars believe is this. The reward being given out at this particular time, at this particular judgment, is given out to those who received their message and who also cared for them as they were being hunted down by the Antichrist and his cronies. Because they provided food for them to eat, for the 144,000 to eat. They provided water for them to drink, clothing for them, shelter for them, visited them if they were sick, or even if they'd been put in prison. It is an illustration that Jesus is using of how you have cared for, he, what did he call them again? My what? My brothers. So that's why a lot of conservative scholars believe that he's given out a reward to people who cared for his brothers, the Jews, the 144,000 who were spreading the gospel during that particular time. What we must clearly understand before you get a wrong message is that Jesus is not saying because you did these things, you're saved. He's not saying because you did these works, because you fed somebody, because you gave them water, because you gave them clothing, because you gave them shelter, but because you visited them, that's why you're saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. See, no one in the history of the world has ever been saved by good works. Mankind is fallen into sin. The Bible clearly tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So no one is saved by their goodness. No one is saved by good works. These that Jesus has given the rewards out to us, not like, oh, because you've been so good and you've cared for my brother so well, I'm going to allow you to be saved now and you can come into the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this, because you exhibited your love for me, because you exhibited the faith that you had in me, you demonstrated your love, you demonstrated your faith by doing these things, that's why he said, come into the kingdom. They had believed by faith. They did these things because of their faith. They didn't do these things in order to be saved. You understand the difference, the distinction? So he's given out this reward to a specific group of people, these Gentiles, these sheep who had believed the message of the 144,000 who showed showed their, their love for Christ and demonstrated it. But on the other hand, you've got the goats that did not do that. So not only is there a time of judgment, there's also a time of punishment. And Jesus then looked to those on his left, the goats. 
And he said, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, let me stop for a moment before I finish reading. Earlier when he talked to the sheep, he said, come and hear the kingdom that the Father has prepared for you from the beginning of time. He does not say to the goats, depart into eternal fire in the place that the Father has prepared for you. Do you see the difference? Hell was not prepared for human beings. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and his followers. Because some people wrestle around, well, how can a, a, a loving God, how can a loving Jesus condemn anyone to eternal fire? You see, he doesn't. They condemn themselves by rejecting the message, by rejecting the Savior, by rejecting Jesus. It wasn't prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But they omitted having faith in Jesus. And because they omitted having faith in Jesus, they also admit the ministry that the sheep had been involved with because of their faith. He goes on and he says, For I was hungry and he gave me no food. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger and he did not welcome me. I was naked and he did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and he did not visit me. And then the goats are going to look at him and say, Well, when in the world did we see you? When did we have an opportunity to do those things? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They failed to minister like the sheep ministered because they were not sheep, they were goats. They failed to minister and show their love and their dedication for Jesus because they did not have faith in Jesus. And they themselves condemned themselves to this place of eternal punishment because they had rejected the message and the messengers, the brothers of Jesus, the 144 and that's why Jesus says, depart from me. Right before we move from this doctrinal part to the practical part where I said, hopefully you'll find more hope. Don't sound like I'm giving you a lot of hope right now, does it? Remember what I said earlier, Jesus is coming again. Hey, that's hope. He's setting up his kingdom. Hey, for believers, that's hope. Amen. All this stuff that sounds like down and out stuff about eternal punishment, that don't sound like hope, but... There's still hope in this passage. I want you to notice in this passage we looked at in the judgment that Jesus gives out and the punishment that's given out, there are only two destinies. Did you notice that? There are only two destinies. There's a destiny of everlasting punishment to those who reject Jesus, and there's a destiny of eternal life to those who trust Jesus. They're not multiple destinies. Some denominations teach us a place called purgatory. You can go to purgatory. Maybe if you're good enough, you can get out of purgatory. The Bible does not teach a purgatory. There are only two destinations. There's a destination for those who receive Christ as their Savior, and there's a destination for those who reject the message of Christ and do not receive him as Savior. Now, we live in a world today that doesn't like that. And it's politically incorrect for us to say things like that in the world in which we live because people want to try and, and think, well, somehow everyone's going to heaven. 
It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in what you believe. If you sincerely believe in Hinduism, you can get to heaven. If you sincerely believe in, in, in Islam, it, you, you can get to heaven. If you sincerely believe in the new age, then somehow you can become a God and you can get to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in it. That's kind of the way our world feels about things. The problem is that's not what the God who made everything teaches. That's not what the Bible says. We somehow got on this in our small group this past week, and, and uh, you know, I, I call that a wagon wheel theology, and some people uh, use the wagon wheel uh, kind of in, in an intellectual way. Uh, I even had a fellow tell me one time that uh, I believe it's like this. I, I believe it's life's like a wagon wheel, and God's in the center, and all the individual spokes are the different ways to get to God, and everybody gets to God somehow. I shocked him when I agreed with him. Because, you see, the truth of the matter is this. Everybody gets to God. Everybody will stand before God. Everybody faces God in judgment. There's only one spoke to get you there the way you want to be there, and that's Jesus Christ. Everybody, though, will stand before God. And you need to understand that there's only two eternal destinies. And I'm not at the end of the message. It's not time to give an invitation yet, but we will later in the service. But if you're not sure what your eternal destiny is, I hope you'll really reflect upon that and understand that Jesus is coming back, that there's going to be a time of judgment, and then he's going to give out a punishment, a sentence. And when he issues this punishment, this sentence, there's no higher court to take it to. It's not like in our court system to where you can say, well, I don't like what the judge said. I don't like how he ruled against me. So I'll get my lawyer to take it to the state Supreme Court. And then if I don't like what they say, I'll get my lawyer to file it with the national Supreme Court. Hey, there's no higher court than Jesus Christ. So there won't be any arguing. There won't be any appeal once this takes place. There's only two, two destinies. But Jesus is coming again. That's a story of hope. Jesus seats on his throne. That's a story of hope. Jesus is bringing rewards with him. That's a story of hope. Amen? But the main part of hope I, I think you can glean from this story that we're looking at today is not just the doctrinal part that we've talked about, but the practical significance of Jesus' words to the sheep and, and the goats. I think there's always a practical application for us. There are times in the Bible when there may be prophecy that's talked about that doesn't apply directly to you. There are things in the Bible that said straight to the Jews that does not apply directly to you. But you can read it and find an application that you can apply to your life. See, the doctrinal stuff that I talked about a moment ago, it might seem to you because of the doctrinal stuff, a lot of that doesn't apply directly to you because if you're a believer and you're part of the church, you're already gone at the time Jesus comes back to set his throne up and he's giving these rewards out to people who receive the message of the 144,000. So that might sound like to you, well, that don't apply to me. Well, technically it doesn't, but in a practical way, there's truth here that you need to grab hold of that you can't apply to your life. And that's what we need to do in this part of the message. I want you to notice three things that ought to really give us hope. First of all, Jesus called the sheep blessed. Think about that for a minute. 
Jesus called the sheep blessed. He, he said, the king said to them on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's talking to those on his right hand. And in the Bible, the right hand was like a place of honor or a place of significance. The, the literal word that's translated in the Greek, uh, right hand, is the same word we get our word dexterity from in the English. But in the Greek, the word means this, that which receives. So Jesus is looking to those on his right, the sheep, and that which receives, he's reaching out with his right hand, he's receiving them to himself. He looks to them and he says, blessed are, are you. Isn't it a blessed thing for us to know that Jesus will receive us? To know that through faith in him that he paid for our sins on the cross and he has a right hand to extend to us and he will receive us unto himself. He, he refers to the sheep as blessed, but it's not just any type of blessing. He, he said, blessed are you by the Father. Now, now think about that for a moment. The God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who the angels fall down before 24-7 throughout all time. And they're saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, that God, that God who's the creator of all things, that God. He says that God has blessed us. We are blessed of the Father. Isn't that a hopeful thing to think about that holy God having blessed you? You need to wrap your mind and your soul around that for a minute because some of you are too wrapped up in the discouragement of life that you're facing right now. You're too wrapped up in things that you don't like that you're facing in your life. And maybe you feel down and out or depressed or whatever. Listen, you need to rise above that for a moment and think about this. If you are a child of God, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you have hope because you have been blessed by the Father. And you need to think about that instead of worry about all the other stuff because all the other stuff will disappear one day. The fact that you've been blessed by the Father will never disappear. Come who are blessed by my Father. Come and inherit this kingdom that he has prepared for you from the very beginning of time. Once again, it's not that they have earned their way into heaven at all. It's that they are being blessed and they receive this invitation to come because of the faith that they had in Jesus. And that's a message that, that we need to hold on to. That's a message of hope that we need to share with others that, that God invites us to come and Jesus calls us blessed. What was the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples on the front end? What did he say to them when he was calling them? What did he say? Come and what? Come and follow. Come and follow. Now he says to those who have come and followed, he says, come and take. Amen. If you have come and followed him, there's coming a time that he will say, come and take this kingdom that the father has prepared for you. Second part of this practical application for our, our lives that ought to give us hope is this, the sheep that he called blessed, the sheep that are blessed, they are blessed because they live their faith out. Look what's said in verse 35 and 36. We've already read it, but look at it in this context that we're looking at now, it being practical for us. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
What, what, the, what Jesus is saying is this to these sheep. He's saying you have lived out your faith in a practical way. What you believe has made a difference in your life. It, it, it means something that you have lived out your, your faith. He's not telling them, as I said a moment ago, he's not telling them, hey, because you did these things, you're now saved, come to heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, because you were saved, because you did have faith, you've done these things. You have lived out your faith by ministering to these people. And while this isn't an exhaustive list, I don't want anyone today to think, okay, if, so all I need to do in my life is, is to go and feed the hungry and, and give, give water to somebody's thirsty and give them clothing uh, and uh, give them shelter or take them in or welcome them or if they're sick, go visit them or if they're in prison, go visit them. As long as I do that, that's all that I need to do. I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching. I don't think it's a complete list. I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a representative list. But it's a good place to start, amen? It would make a difference in a lot of people's lives if we would do these things. And the thing I want you to grab from that just for a moment is this. You don't have to have special talents, special gifts, or a lot of money to be able to do this kind of ministry that Jesus is bragging on the sheep for being involved with. Any of us. Because we live in America, I think we fail to, to recognize this. If you live in America, by world standards, you're rich. And any of us from time to time could find a way to give somebody some food if we knew somebody needed food. Any of us, no matter what our status in life is, could give someone something to drink. Any of us could give clothing to someone that needs clothing. You know, I'd be thinking, well, it costs a lot to go and buy clothing for people. Listen, if you're like we are, I don't have room to put new clothing in my closet when I go buy new clothes because I still got the old clothes there because I'll tell myself in the back of my mind, but I might wear it sometime. Well, instead of you or me telling ourselves in the back of our mind, we might wear it sometime, what we need to do is drag it out, take it, and give it to somebody that can use it. We, we can be hospitable to people and welcome strangers and treat them the way Jesus would want us to. It doesn't cost you much to go visit someone that's sick or, or to go visit someone that's in prison. But we can live our faith out in a way that ministers to other people, in a way that ministers to the least of these. And, and as we do so, we're, we're living out our faith in a way that not only ministers to other people, it's also providing ministry to Jesus himself. A couple of quotes I found this week. One's by C.S. Lewis. Most of you are probably familiar with, with C.S. Lewis. But he, he kind of approaches and catches you from the backside with this uh, statement. He says, the rule for all of us is fairly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. In other words, Jesus told you to love your neighbor. You, you need to go ahead and do it instead of sit back and try to decide whether well, I really love my neighbor or not. This is awkward for me. I've got my, my neighbor on my left-hand side. He and his wife come here all the time, so they're right over there. They're probably wondering, does he really love us or is he just doing it because Jesus told him to? But see, that's kind of the point. If, if Jesus has told us to, it doesn't matter how we feel. We, we ought to minister to them. George MacDonald, and I think I used this quote uh, a few months ago in another message, but he said this, the love of our neighbor is the only door out of the dungeon of self. 
See, if all we do is, is live our lives for ourselves and build our lives around ourselves, it's kind of like we fix ourselves in a dungeon that's all about us. The way you get outside the walls of that dungeon is to quit loving yourself only and get outside of that dungeon and love other people. Minister to other people. Because here's the biggest thing of hope I think I want you to get today. By living out their faith, the sheep minister to Jesus. I know I've already read it. I know we've looked at it in a different context, but then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The sheep asked when, when, when did we do these things? And Jesus gave them the response. He said, I, truly, I say to you, as, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you, you also did it to me. Wow, think about that. What, what we do to touch the life of somebody else, what we do to communicate love and care and ministry and concern to somebody else, Jesus says, I'm paying attention to it. I'm tracking what you do. And when I see you do that, here's the way I view it. When I see you minister to somebody else, Jesus says, I look at it just like you did it to me. Brandon Brandy's getting ready to lead another mission trip to Guatemala. And a lot of times there's children there that, uh, in Guatemala, by the way, if you want to compare yourself to whether you uh, have any money or not in this world, any status or not in this world, Guatemala is the poorest nation in the world unless something's changed since I talked to them in the, in the past. And they go minister to little orphan kids and, and, and things like that there and all. And uh, some of you go with them. I'd hope maybe I could go this year. I think I'm going to spit off till, till, till next year. But the thing about it is this. When they go down there, that little kid that you see some pictures of, you want to know who Jesus considers that little kid to be? As far as he's concerned, that little kid is himself. And as they go minister down there, they're ministering to Jesus. When we do an outflow event, if you give somebody a bottle of water or you hand them a hot dog or you're trying to mow someone's yard or you know, you're washing someone's car or whatever it might be that we do when we go out on, on that day, when you do something to, to all those various people, Jesus looks at that and he says, hey, you just did that to me. Think about what, man, how hopeful that ought to be for us that you and I, who were sinners deserving of eternal hell, and we only have hope now because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, now you and I are positioned by our relationship with Jesus Christ where we can touch the lives of others, but where we can also minister to Jesus himself. What a great hope that is for us to be able to, to minister to him. And they, they said, when? When did we do it? And I think sometimes we ask the wrong questions. I think the point is not sometimes who we're ministering to, it's what we're doing. Because you see, who doesn't really matter because whoever it is, Jesus said, I'm viewing it as though you did it to me. It's not so much who, it's the what that we do. Are you 
feeding someone? Are you clothing someone? Are you communicating the love of Jesus to someone? Are you being hospitable to someone? Are you sharing the gospel with someone? Are you doing all those things, visiting someone? It's, it's, it's not who, but it's what we do that's important. What we're called to do is live out our faith. What good is your faith if you always keep it in here and in here and it never gets out? What we're to do is live out our faith in a way that ministers to the lives of others. And as we do so, understand this, you just did it to Jesus. Does that give you a little bit more hope to go out and bless somebody this week? That you can go out and do it to Jesus. The original intent of what Jesus says here seems to be that how we treat lowly and needy fellow Christians or other people determines how truly we love Jesus. The way we treat others is a snapshot of how we really love Jesus. How much we love Jesus, how much we, we care for him. So it is a story of hope. We as the followers of Christ, we can minister to him as we minister to others. But here's a cautionary note. When we fail to minister to others and fail to minister to Jesus, you know what we look like? We look more like goats than we do sheep. You know one of the problems I think the church has in the world that we live in today we come off looking more like goats than we look like sheep. You ever seen goats ram each other, butt heads? That's the picture the world has of the church a lot of times. We're butting heads with each other. We're, we're, we're ramming each other. We're fussing with each other. And we look more like goats than we look like sheep to the world. I saw a video that somehow got put on a Facebook motorcycle website. Uh, most of you know I ride a motorcycle some, but uh, a few weeks back, and, and it was in a, a probably a third world country, and a guy was on a small motorcycle trying to get ready to go somewhere, and here comes this, this goat and comes up and just rams him and knocks his motorcycle over. And he gets off trying to chase the goat off. And then there's a woman over here, and it rams the woman. So this other guy comes in, and he's trying to get involved with it, trying to chase the goat off. And then the, gate, the goat starts chasing him and starting to butt him. He tries to get around behind a tree, trying to hide. And the goat keeps coming around. He's reaching around, kicking at it, kicking at it. And the goat just keeps on chasing him. You know, that, regrettably, that's a picture that the world has of the church. We butt heads with each other, and, and, we, and we're mean to them. We go butt them and injure them. If we fail to minister to people like Jesus wants us to, we wind up looking more like goats than we wind up looking like, like sheep. One thing I want you to clearly understand, the, the sheep did not do what they did just for the reward. Because when Jesus told them that they had done those things, they said, well, when did we do that? We didn't see you. We're shocked. And he said, when you did it to those, you're doing it to me. So they weren't doing it just to get a reward. Here's why they were doing it. They were doing it because of the authentic faith they had in Jesus and the love they had for Jesus and the love they had for others. 
That's why we ought to serve Jesus. And not so, well, if I serve Jesus, I'll get more reward when I get to heaven. Hey, it don't belong to you anyway. You cast it at his feet. We ought to do what we do because of an authentic love for Jesus. We're going to have this thing that we call an invitation at church. I think it's always serious today. It might be a little bit more serious. Because in this story, there are two groups of people in two destinations. There are people who are goats and people who are sheep. There are people who Jesus said will go away into eternal punishment, the goats. But the righteous will go into eternal life. He separates out the obedient believers from the pretenders. So maybe ask yourself before we have this invitation time today, are you an authentic believer or are you a pretender? Do you act more like a goat or do you act more like sheep? Are you displaying the authentic love that you have for Jesus? You see, the real evidence of the fact that we believe is how we act. It's not just what we say. And these sheep demonstrated what they really believed by the way they treated others. And Jesus took it as though they treated him the exact same way. You and I can demonstrate and need to demonstrate that same love for Jesus. We need to feed the hungry, welcome the homeless, look after the sick, visit those that are in prison. So this morning before we have an invitation, think about a serious question. How how much does your life look like that description? How well do your actions separate you from pretenders and authentic believers? Because there's only two destinations and two groups of people in the whole world. To get really pointed with it, everyone here this morning, you're either a sheep or a goat. Everyone here this morning, you're either going to eternal fire or you have eternal life with Jesus Christ. Everyone. Go outside the walls of this church. Go through Granite Falls, Caldwell County, State of North Carolina, America, all through the world. There's only two groups of people. And there are only two destinations. The only distinction between the two, those who have believed in Jesus and those who haven't. Given the love of God toward you, think about it in these terms. Given the love of God toward you, he loved you enough to put his son on a cross. Given the offer of eternal life that he extends to you and the finality of the last judgment against you, don't you think it's time, if you never have, don't you think it's time to say, yes, Lord, I believe, and yes, Lord, I I will follow you? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.